0: For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com.
1: Good morning. Our scripture today is from Luke 2, verses 1-20. through 20. In those days a degree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is
0: the word of the Lord. Y'all can grab a seat. And I, I love the baby in the background. Can we cue that up on whenever I want it? We just dialed that thing in right then. It's good stuff hey we 're in Luke chapter two, if you 've got your Bibles and want to turn there uh, we 've got to continue in this advent series as we 've been looking at stories of kind of bit characters, different people in uh, in the Christmas narratives. But uh, before we start, I want to just think any of you like to read stories about people that miss great opportunities i've kind of got this love hate relationship with them like in some ways, I love that there 's other people that do dumb things, not just me. So that's comforting for me, and uh, but then I also kind of hate it because it's kind of painful to see when, uh, when people make dumb mistakes. Uh, how many of you remember Blockbuster? You just called yourself old, but that's okay. Uh, Chase, that was a place that you got VHS tapes, which were like actual things you had to put in to watch movies. You couldn't just stream things. But back in about 2000, Netflix offered Blockbuster a chance to buy its business for $50 million. The Blockbuster CEO saw Netflix as a niche business. They wouldn't really grow into much, so he turned them down. Uh, 10 years later, Blockbuster filed bankruptcy. Not too many years later, Netflix is valued over $140 billion. Sort of missed out on an opportunity there. Uh, When you pull your computer up or your phone up, and you need to look up some information, and you're going to tell someone, like, hey, I'm going to look up some information about something. Tell me how, what do you say? Google it. going to Google it. That's exactly right. In 1999, Google founders tried to sell their company to another Um, we don't really know much about this guy, honestly. Um, he, gets, he gets a bad rap most of the time. Like normally you look at the innkeeper and you're like, ah, oh, he's the jerk that didn't let Mary and have Jesus inside. Like he's the guy who didn't look out for the mother or the son of God. Like this guy's got to be a bad news guy. Uh, but really, what, to be honest, we don't know much about him. Uh, he likely was just a normal guy doing what normal people do, which is trying to get through and do the best he can with the circumstances that have been given. His town was overrun with lots of people. Um, and so he likely was just doing the best he could. But what we do know is this guy of everyone, everyone in this story, kind of had a front row seat to the birth of Jesus. Th- that probably more than anyone else in, in, in all the world, he was kind of on the observation deck just to watch. Everything that was unfolding in front of him in one of the greatest moments of human history. And I was kind of left to wonder, as you think about him, did he miss out on the opportunity or did he make the most? So we're going to dive into that today. So first, let's set the scene. Uh, In Luke chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, he says, um, And Joseph went from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, Joseph was forced to go to Bethlehem because uh, the Roman emperor had wanted to tax everyone, so he sent them all to their hometowns to kind of go be registered in order to be taxed, and uh, so Mary and Joseph are going to go on this trip or this journey. Now, it's interesting, when we think about Christmas, uh, we oftentimes talk about normal family tensions that you have at Christmas time, right? Like everyone's got a crazy aunt that you have to deal with or everyone's got a fractured relationship in a family or some people want to eat this kind of food and some people want to eat duck. Some people really want turkey. Some people really don't want turkey. You get normal family tensions. But think about the very first Christmas for Mary and Joseph. There probably was a lot more at risk for them or tense going on with them. Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem to pay his taxes. Mary's about to give birth. She's full term pregnant and she's gonna get, they're gonna go on an 80 to 90 mile journey across town, away from her family. Uh, they're going to be separated, and, and Joseph is dragging Mary in this journey. Whether it's foot or on donkey, we don't know. But she likely would have been cold uh, at that time of year. Think about going 80 to 90 miles. Now, just to state the obvious, like there's no buckies for really clean bathrooms for a pregnant lady. So that baby's pressing down on her bladder. It's not like she's pulling over and like I got lots of rest stops along the way on a journey in that day. So this is gonna be a trying thing. There's no Chick-fil-A drive-through. They didn't like pull the donkey through and be like, can I have some extra nuggets So she's eating for two and becoming hungry on this long 80 to 90 mile journey that she was on. Uh, it was funny when I was thinking about this. I kept having this like the journey song in my head. You know, she's a small town girl living in a lonely world. You know, take a midnight mule going anywhere but uh, like just you're gonna have that in your head the rest of the time. But ladies, do you remember your prego walk? Like the whole thing where like your feet kick out, your hips do this and you're like doing that. Like, I mean, think 80, 90 miles walking, trying to like do the thing where you're just kind of sauntering that way. Now maybe maybe he was able to gather a donkey and she was able to ride on a mule. I'm guessing as a pregnant lady, that wasn't real comfortable on your back either. If that really didn't solve it. But think about everything that they were going. Pregnant Mary, And and nervous Joseph, and they show up at an inn after a long journey looking for a room covered in dust, back hurting, and the innkeeper says, we have no room. What are you going to do in that moment? Now, while preachers have long referred to this guy as the innkeeper and we see there's no room in the inn, that word for inn may mean guest house. It may mean, uh, we don't really sure exactly where it is they stayed. It may have been more of like a house with an upper room where guests stayed or like an extra room where people did or maybe as a place so sometimes they did have things that were more like inns, but they were very different than the way we think about it. Don't think about this as like a holiday inn that they rolled up to or a motel or a hotel. Oftentimes, their, their inns, in that day were something that would have looked more like a a horse trough like if you went through a stable and there was sectioned off areas for uh, what we would think of as maybe like a horse trough that was probably what they were that was their best case scenario that's what they were looking for now i don't know if you know my wife but that would not have made everybody happy on a journey if that was the good case they didn't even get that those were all full and so they were asked to go somewhere else Likely then they moved out to what was called the courtyard. Um, it could have been uh, where a courtyard was really kind of an outside area where the animals were kept. So if everyone else went in and stayed in the sort of horse trough like partitioned rooms that were there the animals stayed out in a courtyard and were gathered and just tied off there and were able to eat and and drink and there was horse trough and things like that out there oftentimes the tradition actually says that this particular place was a cave uh, caves were often used as stables in that time and in bethlehem today in fact the church of the nativity marks the supposed site since the time of constantine in the fourth century they've said this is the actual site they've got a cave that they pointed to but we don't really know that that's where they went uh, but as you think about that there. By our standards, everything, every option that was available to them would have been pretty rough quarters. It would not have been something that would have been definitely like a luxury suite. Verse six to seven, Luke's uh, description of the birth is so understated it's almost comical. He says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Like, ladies, you know what that means, right? Like, that's not a quiet experience. Uh, She gave birth to a firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Now, friends, I don't know if you've been around anyone giving birth, uh, but it's, it's not a uh, day at the spa. Like it can be loud. It can be messy. Uh, this is not a scene out of a Hallmark movie. Uh, this is not something that just has like a, the fuzzy filter on an ice deal to make you feel really warm and fuzzy about it. This is birth in a courtyard where animals are normally kept. And this couple um, is stored, that's, uh, stored in this area. Now, I'm sure Joseph pushed the animals off to the side, tied them off in the corners, carved out a corner for her, made sure that everything was as comfortable as it could be. But it was still going to be pretty a pretty trying time. And as you think about the innkeeper, the innkeeper likely stood nearby. Um, he would have seen the things that were going on. He would have maybe helped and Maybe if he was a nice guy, he would step in and say, "Could I help? You know, clear clear some space for you. Could I help in any way? Could I bring you some water? Could I bring you some blankets?" But we don't know much about what the innkeeper, what his response was. But if he'd have been paying close attention, what the innkeeper would have seen is a word Christians call grace. See, when God came into our world, He doesn't come. He didn't come to the proud and the powerful. He came to the poor and to the powerless. Uh, Things were not as they appeared to everyone. The, the most frail-looking one in that courtyard, the little baby, was actually the most powerful one in the room. But everything looked upside down in that moment. Think about Jesus. He was born into a family with no apparent significance. He was form, born to a father who was a carpenter for the village. His teenage mother had lots of local gossip about her pregnancy going around. It was a family that was forced to travel a long journey to pay taxes to a Roman emperor, a four, foreign ruler's um, taxation at the worst possible time. They had no wealth, no education, no big city name or reputation. Imagine being this young uh, young couple. Mary was likely 15 or 16 years old at the time. Joseph is this new guy just trying to figure out what, how to make marriage work and what this was going to be like. Imagine the pressure and the stress they were under. They likely had financial strain as a journey of that nature would have been to them. Um, their frustration with the people's indifference of everyone around them. You know, I got to imagine when they knocked on that door, and they just kind of pointed at her like, "She's, she's pregnant. She's about to have a baby. Do you not have a room for us?" But people seemed indifferent. They're likely dealing with a shame and at least confusion about Mary's pregnancy and all that it meant. If you're Joseph and you're trying to figure out how to make sense of all this, exhausted from travel, Joseph's probably embarrassed about his lack of preparation. Honey, I'm so sorry. I didn't find a room. Probably embarrassed about the fact that he didn't have the money to provide a nicer place. I wish I could have got you a better accommodation. They're worried about their baby. Joseph is then likely very awkward looking at Mary's body and navigating the birth of a child. There's no doctor. She has no family around. There's no clean bed or blankets or bandages. They likely felt very helpless at that time. You feel the pressure for this young couple and all they would have been experiencing. Let me ask you a question. Was there any place lower where Jesus could have entered the world? It's hard to imagine a place that would have been lower than that. It's an unlikely scene and yet this is where Christianity began. began. The paradox of of our faith was on full display that God created humans and then he became one of them. And his his, his entrance had no earthly majesty about it but the creator of all things moved into utero And became part of the creation. The eternal son of God submitted to be the firstborn of a confused teenager. The king of kings in heaven submitted to an earthly king's command to pay taxes and go on a journey to Bethlehem. The holy one submitted to being wrapped in swaddling cloth and sleep amongst the stench of the mules and all the refuse. Wafting into his little nostrils. Do you feel the majesty and the mystery of God becoming man? We're meant to ponder that. We're meant to think deeply about it. It's meant to kind of blow our minds and never really recover from kind of understanding all that that would, as we unpack it, all that it would mean for us. And people have been wrestling with this for 2,000 years. Augustine, uh, back in kind of 350 to 400 era, said this. He said, unspeakably wise, he was wisely speechless. He's talking about Jesus, that God who, Spoke the world into existence and the world was created, now is unable to speak an intelligible word as a baby, as an infant. Riffing on Augustine's idea later, a guy named Lancelot Andrews was preaching to King James on Christmas Day 1608, and he said, The word was without a word. The word of God. The the Logos, the the great word that God was going to speak. And Jesus's, in the scriptures, is called the word of the Logos. And the word became a baby so that he was without a word and able to speak at all. Lucy Shaw, a modern poet, I love the way she captures this. She says, Quiet he lies, whose vigor hurled a universe. He sleeps, whose eyelids have not closed before. The, the one who was strong enough in his strength, or his vigor to create the entire universe, to hurl out a universe into the world, now sleeps. Does God sleep? No, we see in scriptures, God never sleeps nor slumbers, and yet here, this one becomes a baby whose eyelids have not closed before. And a baby, he sleeps, sleeps in a feeding trough, a little manger. Now, Sometimes theologians call this God's condescension. Condescension for us has a really negative kind of frame reference so we look at condescension it's like someone that looks down on you or someone that talks down at you but theologically when you think about Jesus his condescension is everything but that it's the exact opposite of that in fact it's God descending and getting down on our level to become like us it's God who drops down like a father who gets down at the level of his child and looks right in their eyes and says hey I want you to understand what I'm saying to you and I want to descend and get down on your level so that you can understand what it is I want to communicate to you and Jesus is God descending to be with us so that we can see who He really is. It's the condescension of God. Philippians says God did not or Jesus did not require, or count equality with God, a thing to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself and became a man born in the likeness of men in the form of a servant. Jesus didn't hold his position. He emptied himself and became one of us. To save us, God became one of us. The theological term for this is the incarnation. And even like carne asada, carne means meat, flesh, that God incarnated himself. God took on flesh. God whose spirit became one of us and, and, and became meaty like you and I and became incarnate in order to save us. The word put on flesh and dwelt among us. God moved into the neighborhood. So that we could know who he was. Tim Keller says it this way The founders of every major religion said, I'll show you how to find God. Jesus said, I am the God who has come to find you. Friends, that's grace, that's the heart of Christmas. That's what we're meant to understand from this story. And in this story, it takes a side turn and kind of goes off to a different place for just a minute. But even the side turn points us further in the direction of grace. Jesus' birth announcement doesn't go to his family. It doesn't go to religious leaders. It doesn't go to political, powerful, politically powerful people in Rome. It doesn't go to the great philosophers in Greece. It actually goes out to the fields to the shepherds who were watching their flocks at night, verse eight says. Shepherds in that day were nobody special. They were everyday people with everyday jobs that were kind of smelly, messy jobs that were underappreciated in that world. And yet, these guys are the ones that God wanted to invite to his son's first birthday party. Isn't that amazing? That when God's gonna throw a party for his son, these are the ones he says, hey, I want you to get in on the party I'm about to throw. Because my son has been born. Verse 9 says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. The glory of the Lord shone all around them. The bright presence of God's glory. Now, in our day, we live in cities, and so we've got lots of electrical lights that that kind of give light pollution and and dim all the, the lights that are there. But in that place where everything would have been in utter darkness, imagine a heavenly light appearing and how bright it would be. And these guys are shocked, and they're a little bit afraid. And so they begin to tremble, and immediately the angel says, Do not fear because he says this is a moment of celebration, not a a moment of fear. This is good news, a great joy. Friends, everything connected, when you look in the scriptures, everything connected with our salvation is about joy. You understand that God wants your greatest joy. He's not holding out on you. Uh, God's joy is not doled out in small doses for special people like caviar and fine wine. God's joy is for everyone. It, It comes to all and Friends, don't ever think of God as a stingy miser with a twisted up face like Scrooge up there going, oh, I'm going to hold out on you and make sure you don't get too much happiness. God at the very beginning of Christian faith, at the very beginning of, our, uh, of Christianity, sends out a birth announcement. The birth announcement refutes that idea uh, at the very beginning. He says, look, this is good news of great joy for all people. Do you feel how over the top that is? It's good, it's great, it's for everyone. You're meant to hear it and go, everyone can get in on this. No one's going to get left out. And in that day, if you were hearing this story and you were seeing what happened, you're like, wow, if shepherds can get in on it, that means anyone can get in on it. That means I can get in on it. Whatever your station in life, it's good news. And if the shepherds weren't paying attention or didn't really hear, I love that the angels are like, this is good news for great joy for all people. And he's like, for unto you, a child is born. For unto you and you and you, a Savior is born who's Christ the Lord. It's interesting, he gives three titles for Jesus Savior, a rescuer who's coming to deliver you from your enemies. There's something implied in that. It's that we needed a saving, that we couldn't save ourselves, that we needed an outside Savior to come into our world and to redeem us, to save us. Christ was the Savior sent by God. He was Christ, the anointed one from the royal line of David who was coming to restore people of God. He was Lord. He was the absolute sovereign, divine ruler of all. Christ was Savior. Uh, Jesus was was Savior, Christ, and Lord, all three. And to validate this message, they give a a sign that says you are to go find him. And he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough in a manger. Now, what's amazing about this sign is not that a baby was born, but it's who this baby is. He's Savior, Christ, Lord. And where this baby is, he's in a feeding trough. That when God sent his majestic son into the world, he took up residence and was born into a feeding trough. And one guy said, This announcement sets off a chain reaction. Verse 15, the angels went from, uh, uh, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and find out if this thing has really happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go check it out. Shepherds were likely camped a mile or so outside of town in Bethlehem in that area. That was usually where they went. They'd be a mile or two outside of town in an area where they'd be watching over their flocks. And so they immediately go, and we're not sure if they left someone there or they kind of tied them up, what they did, but these shepherds immediately head into town, making that one-mile trek in the middle of the night. And we're not sure exactly how they found their way in, but they apparently knocked on the door, found their way to this house where Jesus and where Mary and Joseph were, and they began to explore this. Verse 17, it says, and when they saw him, or when they saw it, uh, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured these things Pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds then returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, as it had been told them. When they saw it, when they saw him, it was confirmation. When they got there and they saw the courtyard and they saw the baby in the feeding trough, they're like, There's a baby in a feeding trough, wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's what the angel told us we would see. It's confirmation of what it was that they had come to see. Now we don't know who all is present here in this in this courtyard as they're entering into this place, but likely you had. We we know that Jesus was there. We know Mary and Joseph are there. We know the shepherds are there. Uh, it seems likely that some of the other house guests were sort of disturbed by all the things that were going on. If you have uh, a birth taking place in the courtyard just outside your little, uh, little open-air space, there's a chance that they were gathered around or at least aware of what's happening. If uh, these shepherds knock on the door and work their way in to that space in the middle of the night, uh, it seems highly likely that the innkeeper was going to want to kind of keep an eye on, like, what's going on in my place of business uh, and what's happening in this space in the middle of the night. Now, we don't really know what the innkeeper was doing, though. We don't know if maybe he was leaning in and awe and soaking it all up, or maybe he was bored out of his mind and went back to work, and he missed out on all the wonder of what was happening. We don't really know. But it's interesting, if you look at the way Luke has told the story, Luke is purposefully kind of inviting us in. He's wanting us to see that from the outside, this is what happened. But as we get closer and closer, we want you to see the the possibility of what an appropriate response ought to be. And we ourselves are invited into the story. So what I want to do in the next 10 minutes is I just want us to unpack kind of the next four verses, verses 17 to 20. And I want us to look at what is an appropriate response? How do we make the most of our opportunity? And we're going to just point out three different steps or stages of how you can make the most of your opportunity this Christmas and lean in to grow. Now, the first thing we see is what I'm going to call holy curiosity. What does it look like for us to be filled with holy curiosity? Verse 18, it says, all who heard what the shepherds had to say about Jesus wondered at what the shepherds had told them. They were, they were just asked, begin to ask questions. They began to think deeply about these things, to reflect on them and to ask, what does it mean? What is God, what is God doing in the world? What is, uh, what is this good news of great joy that's for all the people? Why would the, the, the Son of God be born in such humble circumstances? Why would the King of kings submit to the king's decree to pay taxes? Why must God become a man? How, why is it that humans are the recipients of saving from this anointed one and Lord? How does this baby bridge the gap between heaven and earth? Like all these things start to go through your mind when you think about Christmas. We think about God becoming born as a baby, it ought to get your mind thinking. do you understand that God's not scared of your questions, right? Like, it's a, like, we, we need to be curious people. We need to look at the world, and we need to look at Christmas, and we need to look at what the scriptures are telling us that's happening, and we need to be fascinated by it, like our minds ought to be continually blown, we ought to be leaning in just going like, I want to understand more and we're diving through the rest of the scriptures saying, what else can I learn about this moment that God was sending His Savior, His Son into the world we need to stay intellectually curious in fact, curiosity is at the heart of all learning, Plato said that philosophy begins in wonder how, why what is happening To build on this, Heidegger used the phrase radical astonishment. That that's where we begin to learn is when we're radically astonished by something, it opens us to, to new ideas and we begin to learn. Leibniz asked the question, why is there not nothing? When you think about like, why are we here? Like why is there not nothing in the world? There's something that's here for a reason. There's a creation, we're a part of it. We've got a life and we need to ask questions and be curious about all the things that there are to unpack. Is it any wonder Jesus tells us to have childlike faith? And kids are always asking questions, aren't they? Like it's funny how kids will walk into this space after church and they'll walk up and they'll just be like, what's this? And they'll just start grabbing things. And they're like, well, how's it work? And they're like, well, why? And why? And can we do it again? And kids just begin to ask questions because they're naturally curious. And we are created to be curious. Friends, we're created to live with a curiosity a of life, but not just any curiosity, It's a holy curiosity about the things of God. What does it look like this Christmas to whet your appetite for spiritual things, to hunger and desire to know more of God and what God's doing in the world. It's the reason the Bible tells us that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Like you're never gonna exhaust God. You're never gonna ask a question and he's gonna be like, oh, I don't know. Like it's just not a point where you you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be able to go like oh now I've got God completely under my under my uh, under my thumb, like I know all there is to know about His infinite grace and mercy and holiness. Like that place never comes. We need to stay curious, to grow and to learn. And this Christmas, I just want to encourage you to follow the golden thread of wonder as far as you can. That when you begin to have a thought chase it down, run to the scriptures, look at it, live with a holy curiosity that wants to know God more and wants to know his word more. That's the first step, I think, to us growing in the Christmas season. Second stage in the growth process is personal internalized reflection. Uh, This is where we begin to ask the question, what does this mean for me? Mary, in verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This is what faithful pursuit of God looks like in real time that she began to value or treasure these things, that she began to understand who this baby was and who this baby was gonna become, and she was like, ah, oh, I wanna hold on to all of that. So she began to ponder them in her heart. There's a reason why the angel spoke to the shepherd, saying, for unto you a savior is born. It had to become personal. So we break down that term just a minute, reflection. A reflection just means that she pondered. She thought deeply about what was happening. We need to think about Christmas, not just live through, not just survive Christmas. Think about all that God is doing in our world and in your life. Uh, but she thought about it all in a personal way. It was personal. Mary treasured these things. Mary, you have to make it your own. You understand that The Christmas message, for it to be meaningful for you, you have to embrace it. You have to value it. You have to attribute it worth. You have to treasure it, as Mary did, for your own life. And then lastly, she internalized it. She took that which she was observing and seeing and hearing from the, the shepherds and understanding that God was revealing through the angels and the testimony of the shepherds that came to tell her about what they had said about Jesus. So she kept these things in her heart. Friends, for Christmas to be meaningful for you, it's gotta go, it's gotta go beyond just information. It's gotta go beyond the facts. And I think some of us need to recognize that, that we have a hidden life with God. Like, do you know that there's a deep down place that's just you and God? That no one else can go. It's, it's a hidden life where God will meet you there and you go and you do work with him and he will, he will internalize some things that are there and it's in that deep down place that no one but you and God share that Mary began to treasure these things she was learning about baby Jesus. And she wasn't doing this in some kind of performative way. She wasn't trying to impress anyone. She wasn't trying to put on airs. This was just in her own heart. It's like, I want to understand this for me and all that it really means. Uh, Friends, have you begun to treasure the good news of great joy in your own heart? Do you reflect on it? Do you internalize it and make it your own? This is the way we grow our faith. If you want to begin to experience strength and stability and peace in your life, it comes through experiencing God's promises applied internalized for you and trusting those things. This is how we calm our anxious hearts. This is how we find rest in stressful times. As we take the promises and the truth of who Jesus is and all that he did for us. And we make them ours. And we make them and we put them, bring them down inside of us. It's not enough to hear about Jesus. It's not enough to admire the story. It's not enough to appreciate the nativity scenes and enjoy the nostalgia and have a great time as family. That's not gonna change your life. You have to make the the message yours and the same Christ who came into the world must come alive in your heart. So that's the first two. We need to live with a holy curiosity. We need a a personal internal reflection on what God has done. And here's what happens in our lives is if you truly take it to heart and you truly make it personal and you truly internalize it in a deep down way, eventually your heart goes boom. Boom and responds in worship. Because that's what always gets produced when God's truth sinks deep in our heart. Is that we respond and our eyes grow wide with awe and worship for all it must mean. And our response to God, we call it worship. And this is the last step in the growth process. Gratitude that glorifies God. Verse 20 says, The shepherds returned, after, after everything they'd experienced, after they heard the message from the angels, after they sought out the Savior, after they looked and saw a baby lying in a horse trough and said, told Mary and Joseph, this is what the angels said, and they, and they rejoiced together in all that was happening. It says they returned to their fields, glorifying, praising God for all they had heard and seen. Friends, worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done. And when God reveals himself to us and our eyes are open so that we see his goodness and his beauty and his holiness and his grace and and his love for us, our normal, natural response when that impacts us at an internal, personal level is just to worship, to respond in him. And we can't help but worship him when we really understand all he's done for us. Do you see what's happening in the Christmas story? Do you see how we avoid missing out on the opportunity in front of us? We have to live with a Holy curiosity. We have to take that and begin to lean in and, and learn more about it, but then we can't just leave it here. We've got to internalize it and make it personal and say, oh, that Jesus was a Savior. Unto you, a Savior, was born. And We have to internalize it and make it our own. And when we do, and worship just bursts out of our heart because we can't turn it off. Luke's inviting us all to move from being an outside spectator or bystander on the periphery of the story to moving into the story. The invitation is that we would move from being like the innkeeper, we're going through life, we're doing all the things, we're watching all the stuff, we're observing what's going on all around us, but we're not attached or connected to any of it, to actually moving into the story and realizing that, that what's happening with this Savior, this baby who's been born, has something to do with me. And that changes everything. It's interesting because the innkeeper was, I'm sure, heads down, just going about his business. And yet at the the same time that the innkeeper's just doing his normal everyday thing, going from meal to meal and bill to bill, bill, uh, dish to dish, and all the things that we normally do in life, at the very same time, he's surrounded by God's activity. At the very same time, the promises and prophecies of God are being fulfilled right in his midst. At the very same time, the most miraculous birth in human history is taking place as God's salvation plan begins to unfold through the birth of a Savior. And yet, too often, we can miss the wonder going on all around us because we're busy, because we're distracted, because we're not looking for those things. If the innkeeper was paying attention, he would have seen God's grace on full display. With nothing but a song of joy and good news, heaven sent a Savior to earth to be born in a humble place. There's no throne room for a king. There's no publicist for a celebrity. There's no manager to handle his wealth. There's no assistant to manage his schedule. No crowd on hand to cheer him on. Just a lonely manger bed to welcome him. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. There's this grace. should never recover from it. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you sent your son. Father, thank you that you did not hold back. Did you not leave us unto ourselves to try to find our way to you, but that you sent your son to come and find us. Father, I pray for each man and woman in this room. Do you open the eyes of their heart in the deep places that they might trust your grace as never before this Christmas. Father, we pray through your Son, and by your Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen.